My name is Alan Carter, and here's what's on the podcast today. A Maverick MPP in Ontario says the lockdown measures are worse than what's happening with COVID. Do his numbers really add up? And Ed Keenan from Washington with what's going on in advance of the inauguration of Joe Biden. Let's get to it. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour as we head into the first weekend of the stay-at-home order. You may be asking yourself, what should I do? How should I conduct myself? The provincial government has said it is largely up to you. It cannot determine what is essential and what is not essential, so it is up to you. How will you decide how to conduct your life? What will you do? Into this fray comes a new message from now a former member of the progressive conservative government booted from caucus for a letter sent to the premier today. I'd like to welcome to the program the MPP for York Center, Roman Bobber. Welcome. Good afternoon and thank you for having me. Apologies again, we are continuing to have some technical difficulties. I'll, I'll just check uh, if the MPP can hear me. Mr. Bobber, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, apologies for that. Let's begin again, and here's the question I begin with. Why was it important for you to send this letter to Doug Ford? What do you want the Premier to do? Look, um, I did. I wanted to offer a perspective that I hear from a lot of constituents and is supported by the data, and that is that the lockdown is deadlier than COVID. The lockdowns don't work. Most of the GTA has been in lockdown since Thanksgiving, but the lockdown may be actually causing much more harm than good. Suicides, overdoses, bankruptcies, divorces, and it also takes an immense mental health toll on our children. So it's important that we have a fair conversation, not just about the risk of the virus, but also the health, mental health, and the social and economic effects of the lockdown. I will point out that much, if not all, of the facts that you cite in your letter have been absolutely discounted. For example, your assertion of a surge in, in suicides, that is not true. Your assertion that ICUs are better off than they were prior to the pandemic, that is not true. The Ministry of the Health, the Minister of Health, the Deputy Premier of this province has asked you to apologize to the people of this province. Your reaction to that? Right now, there is a building full of bureaucrats and politicians looking to nitpick and discredit me on the basis of putting a percentage mark as a typo. I would say to you that what we need to do is we need to look at a holistic approach. It's very clear that this is a deadly virus However, it affects those living mostly in group homes and long-term care, and those over the age of 80. We should do everything in our power to protect them through infection control and to prioritize them for the vaccine. However, I hear of so many issues these days in my community that prompted me to write this letter. I heard of a number of examples of missed late or late cancer diagnoses. Many folks tell me that their kids are very depressed and anxious. I hear from a lot of friends and constituents uh, of folks contemplating suicide or self-harming, loved ones who cannot mourn a passing of a loved one or visit their place of rest. Uh, social isolation is harming people. 
And so they put out a document, um, an interesting document that I haven't had a chance to go through. But in reality, uh, they're showing an infection. I'm showing uh, an infection fatality rate. They're showing uh, a case fatality rate. They're, they're showing. <laughs> if, I, if I may, if, if I may very quickly, uh, they're they're leeching on to a typo, even though I clearly say that it's a rate and not a percentage. It is they, not only the typo, and you know this to be the fact, the truth. There are if, there are inaccuracies in your statement. There are misleading information. Do you not owe an apology to the people of the province of Ontario for what you put out today? No, sir. The government owns an apology for ruining the lives of millions of Ontarians and discounting the dozens and dozens of doctors that are begging them to take a holistic approach to the COVID situation and present a public health narrative. And so the government may try and discount me and, and discredit me, but uh, they aggregate the CFR by all ages. That's a fail. I say Ontario capacity. They say Toronto capacity. I'm right on overdose. We're quoting the same articles. The fact that they're nitpicking at minute numbers is the disrespectful act. The fact that the Canadian Mental Health Association says that we have 10% of adults uh, in this country that, that are... That same association, sir, has said that it was irresponsible and they are disappointed with what you had to say by what you quoted from them. The Mental Health Association confirmed these numbers for me a couple of days ago by a Zoom call. The, the average age, sorry, the, the age of, uh, the, the rate of folks contemplating suicide for people 19 to 35 is 20%. It's contained in their own report of September, 2020. I think that what's happening here is we have groupthink that's scaring people into speaking about the issue. We let, let me ask. Let me ask you. Talk this. about things let me that are happening this. beyond COVID. Yes, COVID is a very difficult situation, but we need to consider the mental health effects of COVID, and these have been discounted. I hear from parents every day that their kids develop anxiety. I, no one is discounting the mental health. Let me play this for you. This is Adelstein Brown talking about what is happening in ICUs in this province. This was from the modeling information that we learned on Tuesday. More than half of our intensive care units in Ontario are full or have only one or two beds left. 40% of our long-term care homes are an outbreak. The pandemic will have serious consequences for our health in every region of Ontario. That is Dr. Adelstein Brown. I am speaking with Roman Barber, who has been recently, just this morning, removed from the PC caucus for calling for an end to lockdown measures. Do you disagree with the doctor? Absolutely. According to the very numbers that the ministry produced for me in the last week, our ICU capacity as of today, province-wide, is better than it has been over the last four years. Are you trained as an epidemiologist? I'm just wondering what your background would be that would lead you to believe that you could interpret the numbers better than Dr. Brown. I can read numbers presented to me on a piece of paper. In December 2017, our ICU... But you had, just to be clear, you have no medical training, you have no medical background, do you have background in statistics, do you... What, what background I'm a commercial, do you bring I'm, I'm a former commercial and civil litigator, and I enjoy numbers. I have cross-examined 
um, dozens of doctors and have cross-examined dozens of accountants. Um, I can read numbers that are presented to me on a piece of paper if I may share them with you. In December 2017, our average ICU occupancy was 86%. In 2018, it was 91%. In 2019, it was 83%. In 2020, last month, it was 80%, lower than in the prior three years. And in 20, and, and this week, in, in the former seven days, we're at 81%. That is better than it has been in the prior three years. I have no interest in misrepresenting it. What you see happening is you have a different factoring of healthcare capacity because of COVID restrictions. What you in fact have is you have COVID protocols that are rationing healthcare, taking beds off the table, taking, patient, taking um, doctors and nurses off the field in anticipation of COVID response. I would say to you, and I referenced this in my letter, which I urge you to go through carefully, to, on September 30th, Dr. Brown released uh, our fault preparedness modeling. According to his projection, if we stick to Michigan's trajectory of cases, we would have over 250 people in the end of October. However, by the end of October, we only had about 85 people in ICU, 88 people in ICU. The modeling by Dr. Brown turns out to be aggressive time after time. And it's on the basis of this modeling that we're making extraordinary healthcare decisions that make us cancel surgeries and, and important procedures and, and not screen for cancer. So what we see happening is not an overwhelmed system. What we see happening is a poorly planned system. We have 388 ICU patients in the province today in ICU. That's about Please. one... Sir, please, sir, I cannot allow you to continue to spread this kind of misinformation on the airwaves. It is not true. How is it that you can come to these conclusions when we know what is happening? I, do you dispute the death numbers? We had another no. 50 people day, died died in the last 24 hours. The number is over 100. It is significant. The ICU numbers are, the ICUs are are filling up. I can read this for you. For example, I just referenced it. This is the Canadian Mental Health Association reacting to your letter saying we unequivocally support provincial lockdown measures. Uh, Sadly, the MPP has mischaracterized our research. How do you respond to that, sir? Um, earlier this week, I had a call with the Canadian Mental Health Association where they confirmed to me that 20% of Canadians aged 19 to 35, according to their research, had thoughts or feelings of suicide. Uh, that is coming out of their report. So I can speak to them. But back to the ICU model for a minute. If you're excusing me of misinformation, why not just look at the provincial numbers? There are 388 ICU patients in the COVID patients in the province of Ontario today. That's roughly one patient per Ontario hospital. Why is that misinformation? What it is is poor planning. It's an inability to plan and move folks effectively. Again, one of the reasons I've issued this letter is I had a constituent reach out to me two days ago who said that his mom had a heart surgery scheduled a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago to to change a valve And it was canceled because they were worried that they couldn't guarantee her a bed. 
But the only reason they couldn't guarantee her a bed is because they're rationing beds. Well, they're rationing beds because there is a surge in COVID cases, and that is showing up in the hospitals. And that leads they're rationing beds to in response to COVID modeling. If I may, the rationing beds in response to COVID modeling. For which, the lockdown to be eased, you have called for the measures that are in place to be removed. And is that, in the end, not irresponsible? No, sir. I have a different proposal. I propose that we focus on where the problem is. The problem is largely contained to group homes, long-term care, and retirement homes. And that's where we need to focus our attention. We need to make sure that we get infection protocol and control in those places, something the government failed to do for the last 10 months. We need to vaccinate them as quickly as possible. COVID is I, very... No, no one disagrees but, with but, any of these things, but let's so, talk so about. If, so, I, but let's talk about the lockdown measures that you seem to oppose. The fact that people, you know, the stores are closed. That we are trying to limit the number of contacts people have because contacts is what spreads this disease. What spreads this disease? What sorry? What causes the regretful carnage that we're seeing in long-term care homes is inadequate protection. Uh, in terms of infection protocol and control. We need to get that under control. Healthy people are not causing this. This is happening inside our group homes and our retirement homes. And that is where 80% of this problem is uh, focused. But to say that we need to lock down, that we need to imprison 15 million Ontarians when 80% of the deaths are in group homes, that just doesn't sound right. What I'm saying is let's focus on where the problem is Let's make sure that we get infection right, that we vaccinate them quickly. But we also need to think about the harm that we're potentially causing people by virtue of the lockdown. And we can't dispute the harm. We're raising a generation of children that are depressed. We're raising a generation of children that develop anxiety and think that someone can die by virtue of hanging around with another kid. And that's simply not true. We, the, the, the impact said, on well, people is not to be, I, I, I don't discount that, but those are, that's a false equivalency. You, you are suggesting that because of the damage that are being done to people's psyche, the, the damage to the economy, all of those things, which are very, very real, that that should then equate to a lifting of lockdown measures that are in place to try and limit the spread. I, let me ask you this. When the doctors come out and they present the modeling information and you hear all of this and you say, well, no, I don't believe any of it, what, what possible motive do you ascribe to the government and to our medical officials for telling us that it is a dire situation and yet you don't believe that to be true. I apologize. We seem to have lost the MPP because of uh, technical difficulties um, and I apologize for that. Um, obviously uh, that is, again, I'll uh, reintroduce who you were just listening to there. That is the MPP for York Center, a former progressive conservative, Roman Bobber, who has been removed from the Conservative Caucus after issuing an open letter to the Premier asking for lockdown measures to be eased and claiming a number of things that the Health Ministry has now, line by line, gone out and said, this is inaccurate, this is not accurate. You heard me read the letter from the Mental Health Association, extremely disappointed in what Mr. Bobber has put out there uh, and saying that they support 
the lockdown measures. And again, my apologies for the technical difficulties uh, and not being able to finish that interview. Sometimes I look to the poets for some guidance on the way I feel, because if if a poet can express perhaps your emotion, maybe that's something that will help you. And today I go to the poetry of James Newell Osterberg Jr., uh, who wrote, I'm bored. I'm the chairman of the board. Of course, he's also known as Iggy Pop. Because I'm bored! I think we're all a little bored. Uh, I don't have any Iggy for you, but I do have this. Oh, say can you see Oh, Lady Gaga. That is Lady Gaga singing the Star Spangled Banner live at Super Bowl 50. And you know the stars are going to come out for Joe Biden's inauguration. Lady Gaga is going to sing the national anthem. Jennifer Lopez will give a musical performance at the U.S. Capitol. Wait a second. Wasn't it Jennifer Lopez that last was shaking her stuff and then the world shut down? Wait a minute. Is that a good thing to do? Others on deck include the Foo Fighters, John Legend, and of course Bruce Springsteen. I think it's actually in the Constitution that when a Democratic president is sworn in, Bruce Springsteen must play. I don't understand that. I think, no, uh, Dr. Williams, I think that's right in there. Well, we have some more details about what's happening uh, with the inauguration and also more details on what actually happened on Capitol Hill and the legal response to it from U.S. lawmakers on the line. Ed Keenan from the Toronto Star. Ed, great to talk to you. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm less bored than you. It's been an eventful two weeks here in Washington. I hear that. Are you, are you getting ready to get your fist in the air for the uh, Springsteen concert? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to... Uh, penetrate the security to get to the Springsteen concert, but I'm going to be down there at the inauguration for as much as I can. Um, uh, and I understand that some of the rehearsals have been canceled because of security concerns? Yeah, they had planned a, a, a big rehearsal for um, Sunday or Monday, and uh, and that's been called off because of the security concerns. Um, Biden had been planning to make the trip in for the inauguration from Delaware, from his home in Delaware, Um by Amtrak train, because famously he he commuted while he was a senator every day by Amtrak train. He's taken tens of thousands of Amtrak trips, so he was going to do that. But the security said nope. Um, I mean, it, it walking around Washington here, uh, the heightened security concerns are like an ever-present uh, part of life right now. Um, my, most of downtown Washington is is uh fenced off you have to go through military checkpoints to get into it you have to show them their id um it's closed to traffic they're closing this weekend 13 of their subway stations downtown uh many hotels are closing airbnb reservations have all been canceled uh it's it's a bit of a ghost town except for the twenty thousand combat fatigued troops uh patrolling around carrying assault rifles which which give it a dystopian sort of feel. Yeah, I saw there's a great picture I saw uh, where there was a you know an officer or, or a, a, a soldier sort of lounging on the floor in the Capitol building reading. I think it was the Fountainhead. <laughs> yeah, Ayn Rand. Yeah, I mean, and, and it was that was a, I saw that same photo, um, and it, and it's a good one. But 
it, what's even more stunning if if you go into the Capitol for for anybody who normally works there, uh, if you go early in the morning, is the sight of all these troops uh, like sleeping on those marble floors, like in in their full uniforms, uh, holding or or right beside their guns, but just you know their garrison there. It's like a a war situation where they're they're sleeping in place in the Capitol to protect it, and it's just kind of. Well, among among the many things that make you shake your head and and think uh, it's not even like something from a movie because you know on a movie set that they, they wouldn't have this attention to detail. We have uh, new details about the actual insurrection today uh, or insurrection last week. Pardon me, um, from the Washington Post, and there are more details about the QAnon shaman. Are you up to speed on that? What? What? That's the old uh, Jamir, not Jamiroquai guy, the guy with the horns. Yeah, who's wearing the horns and all of that. I'm not completely up to speed on on the latest news. Um, maybe maybe you could share it with me. Well, it, just that, that uh, apparently he left a note on Pence's desk, like a threatening yeah. note. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and and it's a threatening note that said, like, justice is coming, right? Um, and, and then he later says, you know, uh, well, I was happy to get to his desk because I think he's like a child enslaving traitor to the country. But I didn't mean that, though, to be threatening. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, this guy has become a... a notorious, I was going to say celebrity, but it's kind of like a uh, counter celebrity for, for a reason, because uh, he, he just is the same guy who, um, who, who wasn't eating in jail because they wouldn't give him organic food, but also the same guy who gave lots of interviews when he left the Capitol building to talk about what a great time he had, you know, trying to stage a coup. So, uh, I mean, and we're, but we're getting lots of, um, more details as the investigations come out, all these arrest reports uh, that have the details of what behavior people engaged in, and general law enforcement um, reports, uh, some of them sort of leaked to the press, some of them made in public announcements, but but that combined with um, more and more pieced together video of the sequence of events show like uh, that while there were many, many people at the riot outside and many people who streamed in who, who were kind of caught up in the moment and whipped up uh, by the passion of, of feeling like they were somehow defending democracy. There were a lot of other people uh, there, and the people sort of driving things, uh, who, who were leading a, a military-style coordinated attack, who, who had significant plans, and those plans, according to law enforcement now, included the capture and execution of uh, elected officials, right? Um, they they were hunting for Nancy Pelosi and for Mike Pence and and planned to capture them or perhaps kill them. And and you know, it, it just is sinking in all the more. It was a really shocking, I think, uh, for everybody around the world, but especially particularly people in Washington who spent any time near the Capitol to see what uh, managed to take place and develop so quickly. Um, and to see all of that, there was sort of a sigh of relief afterwards that, like, you know, few shots were fired inside the Capitol and relatively few casualties given the potential. Uh, but it, it's seeming the more information we get, the, the more it's sinking in how narrowly uh, a much larger disaster was avoided if 
uh, those first crowds of people who poured into the Capitol hunting uh, for elected officials had arrived in, you know, the Senate chamber or the House chamber just a minute or two uh, quicker than they did and encountered those elected officials there, we could be talking about some kind of massacre. Speaking with Ed Keenan, who is a Washington correspondent for the uh, Toronto Star, Ed, it is going to be um, it's going to be a, a fascinating in all the aspects of that word uh, week ahead. I appreciate you coming on today. Please stay safe. Thanks, and if I manage to see uh, Bruce Springsteen, I'll tell him Alan Carter said. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. Although the Foo Fighters are more my jam, really. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, right. Ed. I'll, I'll look out for Dave Grohl, too. Thanks. That's Ed, Ed Keenan with the Toronto Star and what's going on in the United States and uh, those reports that I referenced, just absolutely kind of very shocking um, as we really do get a sense of how narrow, narrowly, the difference between what actually occurred on the Capitol and what might have happened, that the reporting that Mike Pence was shuffled into a, a secure location, perhaps, you know, just seconds, less than a minute uh, before the crowd actually burst through. And there's more evidence that uh, an officer who is being hailed as a hero, a uh, Capitol Hill police officer who managed to lead the crowd away from the actual Senate chamber where the lawmakers were actually still at that point, providing enough time for them to get to cover. That's the program for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.